Hey, this is Dan Castorella. And I'm Ray Boyd. And you're listening to Leaving the Nest, the show where we interview Temple's past and present to inspire his future. On today's episode, my co-host, the creative copywriter for the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau, Dan Casarella. And my co-host, the director of syndication and social media for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Ray Boyd. Now, Ray, people turning into this episode might think that we are incredibly vain. They're saying the excitement has gone to their heads. It's episode (laughs) three, and they are already doing episodes about themselves. How arrogant. But this is something you and I wanted to do for a long time because we thought it was very important that if you're going on this journey with us, if you're going to listen to this show and learn about careers and journeys that you should probably know your hosts just a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it feels like it's a trust-building exercise, right? Like, we <laughs> just want them to know our credentials, who we are, why we have this podcast. I think they'll mm-hmm. learn all of that in this episode. And yeah, you know, maybe it's a little bit vain of us. I'm not going to lie, but I think I think the listeners will enjoy it. There's two things I hate about podcasts. One, when I have absolutely no idea who the host is, And therefore, I don't know what their perspective is. And the other thing I hate is when the host talks too much about themselves and I just want to get to the subject at hand. So I really think we're walking a tightrope here about what is good and bad about podcasts. But again, you have a very interesting career and an incredible journey that, to be honest, we've been friends for a long time. I'm still learning a lot about your career. I've learned about something off. I learned about what the syndication in your title is today. Didn't know (laughs) that until today. Most people don't. So I'm excited to... uh enlighten the listeners and you're right it is a chance for us to learn about each other and hopefully this community that we're building around this podcast to to learn a little more about us so i i hope people i hope people are into our story and find as much value in that as they do in the guests we're going to talk to this season because this show is all about preparing current temple students recent grads for the workforce we thought it would be interesting if we had current students interview you and i instead of you and I interviewing each other, because then we're just going to rant about the Sixers or what we hate about podcasts. So I was interviewed by Caitlin McGinn. She is the current assistant general manager of Whip Radio. She hosts a show on Whip Radio called Interview Hour, which I was also a guest on, which is excellent, which is exactly what I wish I was doing when I was at Whip Radio. So congratulations, Caitlin. You're already doing more than I was in college. But Caitlin and I had a really interesting conversation about me. Wow. What a great way to say that. For those of you who don't know, I, I started in New York, then went to LA for a little bit. Now I'm back in Philadelphia and we will cover the gamut of my career and I hope you get something out of it. So without further ado, me, Dan Casserell. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for, for sitting down with me and interviewing me, which seems very vain, but it was very important to Ray and I that our audience knows who we are, why we do this show, and, and our own background if we're going to be spending so much time interviewing other people about there. So I thank you for your time to explore that. Yeah, of course. Thank you for inviting me to do this. Definitely excited to jump into the interview because I love kind of learning about other people, especially people from Temple, always important to me too. Absolutely. Could you give a little bit of, of who you are and, and what you do at Temple? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Caitlin McGeehan. I am a first year grad student at Temple in media studies and production. I did my undergraduate in PR. I am the assistant general manager of our student run station, WHIP Radio. And I was previously the promotions director. And then I also do, I did stuff in undergrad with PRSSA and also like our music business club. So just anything music and entertainment related is kind of where I'm at. I love that. That that sounds very similar to where I was when I was, I don't like to say the phrase, but when I was your age. <laughs> I I know the feeling. I've started to say that too to people who are freshmen. Like when I was a it, freshman. It kind of sucks. Kind of feels weird. <laughs> Definitely. So jumping into everything Temple related, could you give a short overview or recap of your time at Temple, kind of from start to end? Why Temple? Why Klein? Of course. Well, you you kind of just did a very good job of doing it for me. You can really replace my name with yours there. 
I spent a lot of time at the student-run radio WIP. I was a media studies and production major as well. I did a show on WIP radio called The WeWo Show, which was a talk variety show, a morning zoo type show that aired at night. And that was kind of my love and my passion. I wanted to go into radio for probably the early part of my college career and did the show there. Much like you, I was the promotions director at WIP. Then I became the assistant general manager. And during my junior year, I had an internship at the Clear Channel stations, which is now iHeartRadio, which is how long it was. And I was coming from an environment that was very enthusiastic. And we had five, six hosts on at once and a lot of collaboration and creativity. And during that internship, I realized that doesn't exist in radio anymore. That kind of spontaneity is, is dead. Radio hosts go in, they do their hits, and then they kind of do a lot of promotion stuff. There's ironically a lot more creativity and freedom now than six years ago when I was in school. Now you could have a podcast, you can do things on social media. It's kind of almost going back to what it was maybe in the 80s and 90s. Having that experience, I realized like I, I want a more spontaneous creative media experience, media career. I had always loved late night television. David Letterman and Conan O'Brien were huge influences of mine. And on a whim, I applied for an internship at The Late Show with David Letterman, thinking, well, I'm a radio kid. I'll never get this. But the application was much less robust than even the Clear Channel stations. I think the Clear Channel, oh, wow. I had to I had to do like two big like essays. I had to get like three letters of recommendation. I had like I had to pull a lot of stuff. Letterman, it was a cover letter and resume. It was probably one of the easiest applications I ever had. <laughs> and very thankfully, I got that internship. I worked in the research department and realized like that's what I want to do. I want to be a researcher. I want to be a segment producer in late night. I absolutely fell in love. And so I took a semester off, kind of. I did online classes to do that internship in the fall of my senior year. And then when I came back, I was so enamored with late night. I was so in love with it. I wanted to make sure, it's funny saying this out loud, but I wanted to make sure I had television experience on my resume in college. And so I went to Paul Gluck, who's still at TUTV. And I said, I would love to do a late night show, kind of thinking he would say, that sounds nice and show me off the door. And they literally were like, okay, here's the date. You'll have a crew and kind of left us all to our own devices to the fact that it, I was like, I would repeatedly email our producers. Like, are, are we sure? Like we have a show and that show was called Temple Tonight and that is still on air. So that was my temple experience in a nutshell. Yeah, definitely a very impactful experience, you know, creating your own show at WHIP and then also at TUTV. So that's crazy. Yeah, like, you know, questioning if we had the show or if like the crew was going to be able to do it and just things like that. Mm -hmm. And having that full creative freedom is definitely what I've learned that Temple is about too. Absolutely. The best thing about Temple is you have all the tools to succeed in media in terms of if you want to go into radio and podcasting, if you want to go into television. But it's on you to do that, right? It's very rarely required unless something has changed. But you can do as much as you want or as little as you want and have the university as a foundation. You know, it wasn't required to start a late night show. It was just something I was really interested in wanted to do. And so Paul trusted me and Paul trusted my expertise and, and our foundation and let us do the show and let us like, fail and succeed. And that was incredibly important. And it taught me a lot about managing. It taught me a lot about television production, being in a position of making decisions and also being in a position of talent. That's the type of thing that at other communication schools, you don't necessarily get. And I found Temple, I use this in the, in the best way, is kind of like the Wild West in terms of you can be as successful and get your hands in as much as possible if you're that ambitious. Or, and I don't recommend this, you could do nothing. You know, you could be an MSP major and Lord knows I've had friends like this who just did the classes, did no internships, did no extracurricular. And you know what? Like if you don't do any of those extracurriculars, like that's kind of on you and you're setting yourself up to be behind your peers because mm -hmm. there's people graduating with you who, who are editors at a pretty widely circulated newspaper who have years and logs of radio shows. So it's on you to find your path but Temple absolutely provides that opportunity. So I'll talk more about like Temple connections later on, but how did the perspectives and advice from your professors, friends, coworkers at the station and things like that 
help you during your senior year and kind of that transitional period? You know, one thing that always stuck out to me was Professor David Kreider. He was doing his disrotation when I was a freshman, and he did the disrotation on me and my then co-host, Lewis, who I did the WeWo show with. And we became close, and he came on a few years later, and I asked him, like, what, what advice do you have like for young students? Like, the exact same question. And his advice was fail. Make sure you fail and embrace the failure. And don't take failure as something that is tragic and sad and a setback. Failure is a learning experience. And you're not going to get anywhere in life without failing. There's no one you talk to who won't fail, who hasn't failed, who isn't successful. And learning that and embracing that and not fearing it. Stephen Colbert says all the time, embrace the bomb. When he was on stage and the audience didn't like what he was saying and didn't like his comedy, he would embrace it and learn from it and try and think in the moment, what is making them laugh? What won't work? What part of my act can I change in that moment? And you just have to understand that it, it's scary and it could be shitty to fail, but you're going to have to. Don't let that determine who you are as a person. And the most successful people are the most resilient ones. That's definitely true. And I'm starting to learn that now, especially in kind of like that shift from public relations for me to media studies. It's kind of a, whoa, wait, I have to reevaluate everything and mm -hmm. kind of fail at this new topic and then go from there and learn, okay, now I have to change how I think. Absolutely. So you're near graduation and I felt this last year as well, but it's just such a weird time. You know, mm -hmm. you can feel like you can try out anything, but you can also stay here, but you can also go a million miles away. So how did you start to find your footing in that time and decide to go to LA? So I actually, I, I spent a year in New York at VH1, and that was a huge learning and failure experience. One of the reasons I wanted to do this show, talking to alumni, is Temple does a great job of preparing you for what you want to do. But Temple does not, and no school does, prepare you for how you want to do it, because that comes with just learning and being an adult. I have a group of best friends from college, and one immediately after college went to Los Angeles to pursue a career in film. One could not find a job in media, did AmeriCorps for a year, came back, found a job at the Drexel Study Away office because when he was at Temple, he worked at the Study Away office and loved it and liked helping students find their path. He was very passionate about travel and went towards there. Doesn't really do anything with his MSP degree, but had a really important experience at Temple. My best friend, he is very family oriented. So he went back to his family in Pennsylvania and now he has a, a wife and a child and he has a media post-production job for, I believe they are a food service company of some capacity. Is that the job you think you want to have in, in media when you're like, oh, I could be in the news? No, but I also think he's really smart and knows how to manipulate media and is a really good editor. And his priority in life was to have a family and to be close to his family. There's nothing wrong with any of those. You're going to find as you go through different work experiences that maybe you like working for a really big corporation because that makes you feel secure. Maybe you like working for a startup because it's small and you're involved in a lot of things and there's a different rush. Maybe you want to stay in Philadelphia because it feels like home. Maybe you want to go to New York or LA because those are the big media markets. Maybe, hey, I'm an outdoorsy person. I want to move to Denver. You don't know what you don't know. But I say all that because when I was leaving college, my heart was in being in late night. Like That's what I wanted to do. But my priority was having a job. I needed to have a job, a good, successful job. And so I was the first of my friends to get a job. I, would, I believe my graduation date was May 8th, and my offer at VH1 was June 10th. And to be honest, those six weeks felt like the longest time in the world in between. But I was an executive assistant, and it was a very weird working experience. When you have your first job, you think every working experience is like that. Let me tell you, it's not the case. Don't think every working experience is like that. They moved half the company, our entire teams, to different floors. So for about six months, it was just me and my senior vice president boss, who I was assisting, on the floor. So for That's days, <laughs> weeks at a time, I would go without talking. I would go without using my voice. 
and my brain would get numb. And I was like, I guess this is normal. And I was miserable and I had no social interaction all day. And I was wondering why I was depressed. And I didn't care for the content that was being produced at VH1. It wasn't my, my cup of tea. It was not anything I felt proud of being a part of. And so I tried to, to work at Colbert and Fallon and Myers, all the shows in New York, and never gained traction there. And I had a friend, my best friend, who I just spoke about, who moved to Los Angeles. He said, why don't you stay on, on my couch and you can come for a month, you can come for two months. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I need a really big change. And so I quit my job at VH1. I broke up with my girlfriend and I flew across country to stay on my best friend's couch. And within, within a month, I was working as a day player, which is someone who works as needed on both James Corden and Jimmy Kimmel Live, making a full week of work with that. And after a few months, I got a full-time job at Jimmy Kimmel Live, where I stayed for three years. But that was a lesson in me knowing in my heart I didn't want to be in corporate television. I didn't want to be at VH1, but I thought, let me pay my dues and let me just get in the door. And it was a great lesson. I'm glad I had that experience. It, it probably taught me more about myself than work, but my heart was always being in, in late night television. And to be honest with you, Caitlin, like I never wanted to live in Los Angeles. And, and I moved back because I kind of had that intuition about me. But the, it was an opportunity for a change to try something new. And I went for it and, and I played out that part of my life. And that's the, the long answer to why I was in Los Angeles. Well, you did exactly what you knew you wanted to do, which is always good because it's like, okay, at least I did it and I tried it and you figured out what it was. And also, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that tweet where it's like, you're, you have to be in one point in your 20s where you know you need that change or like you don't mm -hmm. know exactly what's going on. And I think that goes to show that you did have that period for a little bit and then you figured it out. Yeah, you can't be found if you're not lost. You're going to have to go through some adversity to really find what you want and find who you are. And that's okay. And look, whatever the thing that's making you feel that you're not at the point you want to be, just know that's not your entire life. You have friends and you have family and you have hobbies. Maybe it, your job is going well. It's the other things that aren't going well. But you have things that make you feel good and are a part of who you are as a holistic person. You don't have to dwell on your career. You don't have to dwell that you have a crappy apartment. You don't have to dwell that you're not dating someone. All those things will come and go and will be introduced into your life at the right time. I'm not a religious person, but I very much like the phrase, God gives you what you can handle. I amend it to life gives you what you can handle. And you're not going to change the situations that are out of your control. So you just have to learn how to be resilient about them. Definitely. And also kind of those balancing the spheres where you're maybe you're leaning too much in one direction saying, oh, I have too much in my career life going on right now, I'll have to focus a little bit more on social life and kind of just balancing all those three at once. It sounds easy in theory, just like mm -hmm. realizing even when you need to go the other way. But in practice, it's definitely harder. Exactly. And and look, it's easy to talk about when, you know, you, two people are sitting and, and being retrospective, but I still struggle with it today. I've learned a lot that got me here and I'm happy where I am now. I'm always ambitious. And there's things I'm learning about my experience now that will help me be a better person in, in five, 10 years. So it's always about learning and being open to new experiences and being open to discovery. Definitely something that I always need to think about because I'm creature of habit very much. But speaking of like getting used to your surroundings and everything, what was it like to adjust just in general to a new place and a whole new lifestyle? You know, like finding that coffee shop down the street or like figuring out where you go get your groceries, just kind of what is that experience like in your experience? I love that question because I, I think that's such a underrated part of moving and transitioning is just getting your routine. I can say I couldn't have done it without good friends. That part doesn't seem like a challenge really because I was living with two of my best friends and they were showing me the spots they loved and we were cooking together or we were sharing a six pack together. And you weren't thinking about those things so intensely. And when you come to one other places in life, finding those things really just becomes opening Google Maps and going like grocery store and figuring out like that route. It can be hard, but you just have to remember to do it and, and keep trying and keep trying to find those places. Yeah, have them in your portfolio of places that you can pick mm -hmm. out saying, okay, I know I can go here for this and here for that. So 
when you were in new places, what did those positions, your time at VH1, your time at the late shows, what is the biggest thing that you learned from them or even enjoyed the most about them? It's funny. I was thinking about this the other day because I always hate, and I still hate the phrase, pay your dues. Because I, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that really says how talented you are, how much you have left to learn. But what was really important about my jobs paying my dues in late night that I didn't realize at the time was you need to learn the industry you're in. And you may think you know it and you may think you know content, but you have to learn the importance of their routine, their structures, why it's important to respond to an email between 2 and 2.15 because you need those cards in the prompter by 2.30 so talent can rehearse. Why it's important to have the dressing rooms ready by 10 because talent's coming at 11 a.m. and they need everything ready. Little things that seem like they could be pushed or maybe not a big deal, but thinking about your job and responsibility in terms of the ecosystem at large, and then as you get into your system and into your routine, thinking about the industry at large. And that doesn't just apply to television, it applies to anything you work in. I'm in tourism now, and I'm really trying to learn that industry today, but that's why it's so important to quote unquote, pay your dues, which is a dumb phrase, but learn where you are. I hated this at the time, but the first job I had at Jimmy Kimmel Live was the hospitality coordinator. So that was getting the dressing rooms ready and getting the green room ready for the guests and guests of the show. And I'll tell you, Caitlin, I hated that job when I was in it because I was going to the grocery store every day. I was like, I can't believe I'm using a four-year college degree to buy fucking pretzels every day. What am I doing? I'm wasting my life. I'm 25. There's people with business degrees making six figures. And you're always going to have that in any situation. But one thing I always thought was there, there will be a day when I miss this. And I do miss that because it, it was the most absurd job. One of my favorite memories is my mom came to visit the show and she was in the green room. And the lead guest was Larry David. And the second guest was Dave Salmoni, the animal guy. and my mom is in the background of a cold open of Larry David playing chess against a vulture. And you're just like, this is so fucking weird. Where and else it's can weird it happen? To talk about. Exactly. And I just, I love my job now. And, and I, I love the people I work with and I, I love the industry. But you're like, there's nothing that weird that will happen in my entire career here. <laughs> and that happened on a daily basis in television. Yeah, I think. That's a lot of, from like people that I know as well, that's kind of the reason why they find it so attractive. It's just like the craziest mm -hmm. thing can happen on a whim and you never really know what's going to happen next. Exactly, yeah. And also like with the green room stuff, that kind of reminds me of like production runners in for mm -hmm. like concerts and things like that. So I have a few friends who are kind of in that realm. So that reminded me of, oh, okay, it happens in other industries of entertainment too and just kind of being a part of the production in some way. Oh, yeah. And, and look, like... It's annoying and it feels minuscule, but it's important to, one, it's important to the person who's bringing in the money, so that's really important. But two, you should do everything with intention, no matter how big or small it is. And that really clicked for me. I was watching a documentary about some big restaurant opening in New York, and the owner was very anal retentive, but he did this thing I thought was so brilliant. He said, if you lift up any plate, you can see our logo directly. You can read it. Is any customer going to do that? No. Is most of the staff going to do it? No. But what that does is it makes everybody place the plate down with intention. And I think that's so important to find intention in what you do, even in the minuscule things. When I was setting the dressing room was up, did it really matter that the logos were out of the soda cans or of the bag of chips? No. But does it look nicer and more presentable and makes it a better environment overall? Yeah. So even though you're the only one who's going to notice some of your work sometimes, have pride in it always and always be intentional about what you do. Mm -hmm. So taking it back more to the current time of things. Sure. So after Los Angeles, you kind of decided to move back to Philly. So when did you know you wanted to make that change and was it an easy decision to know to come back to Philadelphia? I don't regret moving. I'm glad I moved. Los Angeles was not for me. It was not to my sensibilities. But I never felt like I ever unpacked my bags metaphorically. I always felt like in the back of my mind, I would go to New York. And I wish I embraced Los Angeles a little bit more, even having that mentality. But it wasn't a difficult decision. I moved back in with my parents, thinking I would work in late night pretty quickly. 
then the pandemic happened. All the shows went back home. I wasn't going to go back to New York anytime soon. I pivoted into marketing, was with my parents for a couple of months, had a full-time job in marketing that was entirely remote. And I loved being in Philadelphia. And I had a social circle here and the cost of living is cheap. And I said, okay, like, let me go live there for a few months or for a few years or see what happens. And I did. And it was a great pandemic job because it was entirely remote. I felt safe. I felt secure. I had a lot of flexibility. Throughout this year, realized that wasn't for me long term. And that was a startup that like kind of hit its ceiling. And I realized I couldn't grow there anymore. And so the last priority in my life in terms of looking for a job was to be rooted in where I was. I didn't have anything that was technically rooting me to Philadelphia. I had friends, sure, but my parents are in New Jersey. My job was anywhere I wanted to be. And my friend Will said something to me once that, that always stuck in my head. He said, every good thing in my life comes from committing to something. And I wanted to commit to Philadelphia. I wanted to commit to where I was living. And I, as I just said, my regret, I didn't really do that in Los Angeles. And very gratefully, I found a job that was not only in Philadelphia, was about Philadelphia. And so now I work at the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau, literally advocating for the city and for tourism to come to the city. And it, it's a great job, but it's also very beautiful in being passionate about your home and wanting to share that with other people and wanting to bring them to the place that brings you joy. And so that has been my my latest priority, my latest thing that that I feel now grounded to the city. I now have stakes in the city. This is my home and it's my home for a reason. That's definitely a great answer and a great way to think about another aspect of passion about something. So related to Philadelphia and kind of being rooted here, how did you transition from that career, your remote job to the one that you have now? Like, was it through a connection that you knew here? Or like, was it just kind of cold applying? And like, how do you keep in touch and kind of make that extra level of networking in order to find that new position? It was through cold applying, which I don't recommend. When you're applying for jobs, it's pretty much because you need a job, right? So there's a big urgency to get as many applications out as possible to get whatever you can. What you should be doing as a college student and, and as people who have careers but maybe kind of know they don't want to go elsewhere is taking that time. And it can be stressful and it, it can be scary, but meeting people who you're interested in their career. And, you know, just go on LinkedIn, just go on anywhere, really. If, if you follow someone on Instagram, shoot them a DM and learn about what they do. Don't have any any intention behind it besides just learning. And some people will be receptive. Some people will say no. But if you grow that relationship, it'll be much easier for them to either help you find a job where they are or with their other connections and introduce you to people. That's what finding a job is all about, is your connections. And the internet is great and there's so much you can do. But depending on what the type of job you're applying for, and a lot of these media companies are smart, and they get a lot of applications. They have AI that is scanning your application, finding keywords, and moving it on. A lot of times, it does not get seen by human eyes. And that's why it's so important to take the time, find someone you you have a connection with that you want to talk to, and learn from them. Now, that, to yield a positive connection, could take weeks, could take months. People are busy. It takes time to trust one another. But it's so much more fruitful than applying to 10 jobs a day and never hearing back from them. I know we've covered sure. a lot, but <laughs> is there one, you know, philosophy or piece of advice that you would give just to someone out of college in their 20s looking for a change? You know, just in general, what is the one thing that everyone in that sort of demographic should know? I wish people would believe this because I think you hear this a lot and people don't really listen to it, but life won't and does not have to be perfect. And you shouldn't necessarily search for the most perfect outcome, the most ideal thing. Search for something that you feel like you can grow in, that you're curious about, and search for something that you can be happy with. And a lot of times your own intuition will tell you what you want and, and where to go. Listen to yourself and and don't try and wait for something perfect. 
do something that might seem weird or dumb. One thing I, I think about in terms of that is thinking about the nature of how things are going to change in the future. I did a documentary with Professor Scott Gratson when I was at Temple. And one of the things I, I was like, what does the future of media look like? Something really dumb like that. Like, like not a good question. And he was like, I can't tell you because by the time you graduate and five years after you graduate, half the jobs that are out there don't exist right now. So I, I have no idea what the future of media is. And if you look at the landscape, like, yeah, like you, you couldn't have predicted TikTok. You couldn't have predicted that being parts of major corporations and the boom social media had and this weird time where I got in at the the end of the rise of cable and that cratered and I kind of saw a lot of people I knew who I went into television with lose their jobs because they lost all that revenue and now it all has come back with streamers and social media and and I'm sure in five ten years it'll crash down and be distributed somewhere else but you can't predict the future you don't know the future and so listen to yourself and do the next right thing don't do the next thing right Ooh, that's good That was a fascinating interview. Dan, as you promised, I feel like I learned a lot about you, some things that I did not know. I'm glad you learned a bit, little bit about me. <laughs> I wish I knew less about me. But <laughs> up next, I get to listen to an interview with one of my favorite people, you, Ray Boyd. Now, you had someone very special and close to this show interview you. Now, who was that? That's right. So I had the pleasure of being interviewed by Javon Edmonds, uh, a very active current student at Temple University, uh, deeply involved in WIP Radio, uh, as was Caitlin, uh, also helps to lead sports uh, at the Temple News. Um, he's also an intern with me at the Philadelphia Inquirer right now, covering college sports. Uh, and Javon is the producer of this podcast. We've had the pleasure of working closely with Javon over the last year as we were preparing this podcast and, and getting everything in order. So it was an opportunity to to chat with someone really close to us and introduce a member of the Leaving the Nest family to the community through his interviewing skills. So without further ado, me. I'm Javon Edmonds, the producer uh, and engineer of Leaving the Nest. Sounds weird to hear my voice, I guess. If you've been tuning in for the previous episodes, you're used to hearing Dan or Ray talk right now. But Ray actually is the subject of today's episode. Ray, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Javon. And uh, it's nice to hear your voice on the pod. And I hope the audience uh, enjoys getting to know a little bit about you, even though weirdly this episode is about Dan and I. I hope they, they get a taste of who you are as well. Yeah, me too. You know, and if anybody out there that's listening, uh, you know, happens to be some alumni friends of Ray and Dan, I am in the job market right now. So <laughs> if you have something available, I would not turn it down. Um, Ray, we're actually semi-co-workers together at the Inquirer. That's uh, true. That's the role you've been in for quite some time now. And the icing going the cake for you to be the 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 young guy aboard, I guess, at the Louis this year. You know, how is that? <laughs> How was getting that honor, you know, that whole night? How magical was that for you? It, it's hard to put into words what it was like to get honored at, at the Lou Klein Awards. Um, you know, I, I've watched the Lou Klein Awards in the past. I've attended some and, and um, seen folks who have won them before, have seen people who have won the Rising Star Award before and uh, never really pictured myself falling into into that category. So it was an honor, I think, over the last couple of years my relationship with Klein has really grown, you know, joining the alumni board, mentoring students, um, speaking in classes. These are all things that I never really pictured for myself, but that I'm proud to do. And I think winning that award was as much about that as it was about my career and what I've done at the Inquirer and, and a few other places I've been. You know, I really think what I'm most proud of is, is being able to give back to Temple and to Klein in the way that I have. And that's really what that night meant to me. I mean, other than getting to meet Questlove, I think the coolest thing was was just being around a bunch of people who care about Klein as much as I do. That that was really special. You mentioned Quest. You were part of a, a loaded class, my friend. Questlove, Howard Bryant, Danielle Cole. You know, what was it like to be in the presence of such what, what us kids call goats these days? 
it was cool. It you know that whole day, I was thinking to myself like, all right, you're gonna get to meet Questlove tonight. Like that's awesome. But and it was. Um, but you know, he was the star. The spotlight was on him. Uh, so he's getting shuffled and moved around really fast. But getting to talk to some of the other folks who were honorees and and our Klein alum, that was pretty cool. You know, getting to meet Howard Bryant. I've been reading Howard Bryant for years since you know I first started thinking about journalism as a profession. I definitely think he's he's a goat in in that space. That's also where I got to meet Nora Gerard in person. She was the subject of episode one of Leaving the Nest. Um, so to get to, you know, chop it up with her in person about her career was amazing. It was just in all ways a great night. And on top of all that, the Phillies clinched their World Series berth while I was on stage giving my yes, speech, which was kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, it all in all, it was it was a special evening. Yeah, Mark Zumoff was there, too. Another friend of the podcast. That's true. Last That's week's true. episode. Right. I, I covered temple sports over at the inquirer as a, as a print guy your standard beat reporter but i feel like your job is way more complex than mine can you give us your official title and what it all entails sure so i'm the director of syndication and social media at the inquirer i feel like when i tell people that you know about half of my job is pretty self-explanatory um in that i direct social media so i lead the team of journalists who handle all of our editorial social accounts. Um, so everything we're doing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Pinterest, you know, all of those sort of standard social platforms, even TikTok a little bit. And then the other half of my job deals with syndication strategy, which is sort of our use of third party content, wire content, stories that come from partners, any piece of content that is not from our staff. Um, I deal with the strategy there. And then I'm fortunate to lead a team of digital strategists that work on all kinds of facets of, of getting our stories in front of people, people who write newsletters, curate the homepage, handle search engine optimization, all sort of the nuts and bolts that go on behind the scenes so that stories that you write, that other reporters write, that columnists write, can reach as many people as possible. And it's sort of that strategy bit that I love the most about what I do. 18-year-old Ray Boy did not think he would be doing this, did he? <laughs> yeah, 18-year-old Ray Boy didn't know that existed as a as a profession, um, which I think is what's so fascinating about it. Like, I tell people all the time, most of the titles that I've had professionally were brand new. Like, they were created for me. I was the first person, like, having those titles where I worked. And that was just such a fascinating thing about, I think, when I got into the business is we were going through this fast-paced kind of wild digital transformation so yeah like when i entered school i thought i was going into that route of like a traditional print journalist you know i wanted to be a sports reporter and i've never given that up as as an interest i i feel like now you know i support sports journalists but yeah it's it's been a wild ride to get to to that job title that i currently have Take us into the the journey to get to where you are. That's really what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast, which is when you guys came to me to be, you know, the, the engineer, I couldn't turn it down because it's something I know many of my peers are looking for. You were at CBS for a little bit, got up uh, to the Inquirer. Uh, talk to us about your journey and somewhat of a, a lineal path, if you can. Yeah, sure. So when I graduated from school, the, the first job that I had in, in media was at uh, Sports Radio 94 WIP. For sports fans in this city, they're quite familiar with the sports station in town. And I was doing behind the scenes stuff for them. So, you know, going out to events, setting up, you know, remote broadcast for for the on-air host, you know, going out to promotional events and talking to people about the station. Basically anything that I could do to just, I wanted to get in the building. And there I started doing a little bit of web work, you know, convincing them that, hey, I could take pictures at radio events and do little write-ups for the website, whatever you need. I just wanted to create content and I wanted to be creative. And I was able to sort of parlay that into other digital jobs at sister stations. WIP had several sister radio stations. And then the TV station that it was affiliated with was CBS3. So... Eventually, I worked my way 
onto CBS3's digital team as a digital producer, writing about sports, parlayed that into writing about news. Now I'm kind of showing my versatility in a digital space. And there, what I really fell in love with was digital strategy. What I was talking about before of not so much creating the content. I mean, I love creating content. I, I have a podcast on the side, you know, I, I still like to create content, but it was really about figuring out how to get that content in front of people. That was the challenge that I thought was the most interesting. Like I would sit there at my desk at CBS and we had a TV screen in the corner with all of our metrics and what stories were people reading. And, you know, I loved just the simple sending a push alert out to a story and then watching it climb on the you know charts. That was the stuff that sort of just resonated with me. And I never really thought early in my career, I mean, we're talking about, you know, four or five years out of school that I would get a chance to go to a place like the Inquirer. You know, I'm from Philly originally, so a place like the Inquirer has always had high standing for me, but they started building up an audience team, not just, you know, a social media team like, hey, write X number of tweets today, but a strategic team that was figuring out, you know, all facets of audience engagement. And I jumped at that, you know, I applied, was fortunate enough to get on that team. And I just crossed the six year mark uh, at the beginning of March at the Inquirer. And I've had countless job titles and opportunities to climb in those six years. So yeah, it's been, it's been kind of a crazy ride. I think the thing that I'm proudest of that I think is most interesting is that, you know, I've been able to do all this work in a city that, that I love, you know, being a Philly native is important to me and serving audiences here means a lot, whether it's, you know, sports, whether it's news, whether it's print, whether it's digital, that that's something that, that I take a lot of pride in. I can tell from how much we are stressed to get some digital content out there and how <laughs> fascinated my bosses get by it, that that was such a rigorous process for you. So that in itself, making it through those interview phases and showing you can handle that is an accomplishment within <laughs> itself. I think the thing that stands out to me though, is throughout this whole journey of you thought you were going to do one thing and you, but you never turned down any opportunities. I feel like that's something that people in my footsteps right now need to hear. It's, you can't say no to the opportunities that are thrown your way. It, it, yeah. What would have happened had you said no just one time? That's a great point. I mean, that that's crucial because, you know, I think especially when you're in college, you kind of get this path in your head of this is the way people get to that job that I want to have. They have this job first, then that one, then that one, and they follow these steps. But what's what's so wild about media is, like I said, a lot of these jobs get created on the fly. They didn't exist five years ago. There's all sorts of new opportunities to sort of break in. So you have to be open to opportunities and and saying yes to opportunities when they present themselves. Like I, I think about when I was at WIP, you know, it wasn't in my job description to shadow producers to, you know, learn how they run the boards behind the scenes of a show or, you know, it wasn't in my job description to sit with hosts and, and watch them sort of put their shows together and plan out what they're going to do. It wasn't in my job description to think about remote setups and like how to plan that out, both from a, you know, technical standpoint, but also what you do to engage fans who are there in person watching you do a radio show. Like these are all things that I never really thought about but they're all skills that sort of helped me take that next step and then the next step and the next step. So I tell people all the time, just be open to opportunities and open to learning. Learning has to continue beyond when you graduate from college. It's, it has to be a constant process if you wanna progress in your career. I, I just think that's, that's vital. What was the, we're gonna go through a few layers of this question, <laughs> searching for a job. What was that process as, what, what, probably December of your senior year at Temple? What was, what was that process like of searching for a job and trying to get your name out there? It was tough. I mean, it, it was a grind in every way. I think, I can't even estimate how many 
resumes I sent out, how many jobs I applied to in that period, like you said, sort of midway through my senior year up through graduation. It, it was a long, a long process. The, the best advice that I've given to students I've mentored, to interns we've had at the Inquirer over the years, is just apply. I think one of the roadblocks for a lot of people and, and people that I went to school with was not thinking you were qualified enough to apply for a job, not thinking that you were ready or had enough experience to throw your name in the hat. I I just don't buy that. And being on the hiring end now, there are tons of times where we get a candidate who might not have all the experience in the world, but we have a need to fill. And if they can get in the room and prove themselves in that room, they're going to get considered. So one thing I, I tell people all the time is don't don't let your level of experience deter you for from applying for a job that you really want and that you would be passionate about. But man, yeah, for me, it, it was definitely a stressful time. Like, I just remember thinking to myself, like, am I ever going to get even a call back? Like, just call me back, email me something like just acknowledge let a brother that. Here, something. <laughs> yeah, just give something. Yeah, that it was definitely a stressful process. But I think one thing that I was really focused on is if I got an opportunity in Philly, where I knew I would be passionate about doing the work, I was going to jump at it. And that's that was what WIP provided was just an opportunity to get my foot in the door. And I always sort of psych myself up when I'm going into interview processes. And I say, you know, if they're going to say no, if they're not going to give me a job, I'm going to make it the hardest no they've ever had to tell somebody. That's kind of how I like get into the mind frame, get my game face on. And that's just sort of how I've always approached it. And so that that period of time, I think, is when I, I developed that. Speaking of saying no, did you have to did you ever have it at a point where you had multiple offers lined up and you had to decide which ones you were going to say no to? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that. Not so much at that point, like early in my career. At that point, I, I was jumping at the first yes that I got. And was riding with that. But yeah, throughout my career, especially in recent years, I've had opportunities that have presented themselves. And and people, you're going to start to see this throughout your career. Places are going to reach out, especially in media. You know, there's always turnover in media and places are recruiting hard. They're looking for people, especially people who want to make the jump from local news and local media to national. There's always people that, that reach out. So yeah, I've, I've had folks you know, kind of try to get me to, to look at opportunities here and there. And one thing I tell people all the time, and, and especially young folks in their careers, take those reach outs seriously. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to have a conversation with somebody, to talk to someone, to find out what an opportunity is all about. I've, I've told people all the time though, Philly is home for me. So it's, if it, if it's a place coming from outside of Philly, it's a tougher sell for me personally, because that's where I, sort of prioritize that in my professional life and everybody has to has to kind of make those decisions for themselves but yeah i've had i've had a lot of those instances pop up and uh you just gotta do your research do your homework and and be confident you know in the decisions that you make in the priority list that you set for yourself when it comes to those decisions how do you decide okay i have to say no uh, the outside of Philly Park aside, what else factors into you saying, I have to turn this down? Yeah, I, I think there's the obvious factors and folks listening to this podcast will experience this throughout their career. Money is is big, you know, like that's that's a huge factor that's just realistically people have to think about, especially in today's day and age. You know, I've talked to people across the country that I've made connections with who say, you know, oh, I love this city and I want to live and work in this city, but I can't take a job in that city at the salary that they're offering, you know? So that's a huge factor, money. But for me, aside from, from the tangible things like that, I just think about where does this align with my passion? You know, am I going to do this job because I'm passionate about it? And I'm going to push to do it really, really well. I think that's the thing, especially in media, oftentimes we don't think about because we're just kind of focused on 
being news junkies, getting the job done. But I think you kind of run into a sticky situation if you're not fully invested and fully passionate about the work, because that's what gets me through difficult days, days where I'm feeling particularly drained or have news fatigue is because I'm so passionate about the work and especially doing the work in this place. So I think those are, for me, the two top factors anytime new opportunities pop up. It's how passionate am I really going to be about this role and serving that audience and working for that place and then the money. You know, obviously we're a podcast, uh, you know, affiliated with Klein College. So, you know, we're in the fields of media and communication. How important is it to establish some connections and some some friendships or at the very least, you know, acquaintances in in the respective fields, you know, that we all go into? Yeah, that's crucial. I mean, that's really it's funny because when I was in college and, you know, professors and mentors would push networking it's all about who you know, like you have to be in someone's Rolodex. You might sort of brush that off at the time, but it is really so crucial. And not only for career advancement and, you know, finding that next job or maybe even, you know, that first job, but just having a community of folks who understand the challenges you're going through, you know, things that you're facing. Like I have people, you know, throughout media and communications jobs across Philly, you know, some affiliated with Temple, some not that just when I have a challenge, I just hit them up and like, Hey, let's just put some time on the calendar and talk. Let's just chat through this. I have people, you know, who will advise me when I am going through like a new opportunity sort of situation, somebody that I could just ping ideas off of and make sure that, you know, my internal compass is, is pointing me in the right direction. So I think that's, it's huge to build your own sort of community. And I don't have this personal experience, but I would, I would imagine it's even more important for people who go that route of going to a new city to start their career, maybe a place they've never been. Network, find that community of folks who can understand what you're facing, the challenges, the ups and downs, just for your own mental health. I think that's incredibly important, but that is part of what I'm so grateful for of still being in Philly professionally is that I run into temple folks everywhere. They, when they say owls are everywhere, that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Especially <laughs> in terms of Philly's, you know, media and communications landscape. So there's no room of journalists that I've been in a large room of journalists in the city that doesn't have at least a few temple owls in it. And so, having that network and putting it out there, having people know that you're a Temple Owl is, it's valuable if you're trying to move through through this particular media landscape. Yeah, most definitely. And I think you handed on something where, you know, it's just good to know people in life, even outside of work. Uh, I went to Temple's Pro Day and I'm talking to Chris Weaverhand, the offensive line coach, and he's got Adam Klein's brothers like doing his taxes for him. Oh, oh okay, well. yeah. This, this is something um, <laughs> you're you're on, you know, the, the alumni board at Klein. Get, talk to me, but, you know, give me a little bit of detail on that. And what made you say, I, I got to come back to Temple. I've got to help these kids out. I've got to pay it back to my university. Yeah, that that's part of another thing that I'm just incredibly passionate about when it comes to the profession that we're in. I feel like the future is just so important. Like we have to be investing in the future of media roles, communications roles. And so to me, it just felt like the best way that I could give back, maybe aside from, you know, actually teaching at Klein would be to get involved and to inspire other alumni to get involved. So, you know, that's kind of the mission of the alumni board is it's sort of twofold one to get other alumni inspired to get involved and build community amongst each other, but to also be a resource for current students and to help them, especially making that transition from being in college to graduation, to looking for the proper footing to start their professional career. So for me, getting involved in the board was, was about that, just giving back, also strengthening my community. Like it's great to meet the other alum who are on the board 
and are doing amazing things in, in other places. There's some folks on the board who, you know, I've crossed paths with at different times in my career. And it's great to now, you know, sort of know them and, and be able to touch base really fast. Dan, my co-host on this podcast is on the board. And so like, it's fun to, to have a common connection with him uh, and, and reconnecting with, with our client days. So yeah, the board, it's a great opportunity. And I would encourage any alumni out there who are looking for ways to get involved to, to reach out about the board specifically, because, you know, it's not a huge, huge time commitment, but it is really a resource that I think is special when it comes to bridging that gap between alumni and current students. And I think that that connection could be what ultimately helps a current student find their footing in their career, make that next step and achieve that, that career dream that they have for themselves. And if I can play a role in that process, I mean, that's, I'd be incredibly proud of that. You and Dan have mentioned several times how passionate you guys were about starting this podcast, how important it was, because this is a very, there's very much a time in, you know, college students' lives where it's, they need the advice and they could use, they could use some stories to calm them down and help them realize yeah. you're fine. You're on the right track. Uh, I need a story of you and Dan, because you and Dan have known each other. <laughs> For quite some time. I cannot let you off here without a good story of Ray Boyd and Dan Casarello together. There's some stories probably of our college days that I probably shouldn't tell on the podcast. <laughs> um, so I'll probably leave it at that. But I, I think the the moments that resonate the most with Dan and I are probably for me the days that we spent at WHIP on Temple's you know, campus, Temple Student Radio Station. Where I'm recording um, this podcast. I where you are right sitting now. right now, which is amazing. Full circle moment for me. I think it's, it's what was so interesting about us at that time was that, you know, we were two years apart in terms of grade. There wasn't a lot of overlap in terms of our shows and our general interests. You know, Dan was leading a, you know, morning zoo type, you know, talk music show. I'm hosting a sports show. Like there just was not a lot of overlap for the two of us to be particularly close. And for anybody, and I don't know what the culture is like there now, but for anybody who was at WHIP when I was there, it wasn't like, you know, all the different shows were interacting with each other all the time. It was kind of like you came in, you did your show. Some of us hang out, hung out in there all the time, but not everybody did. But Dan and I, there was just something that sort of clicked. And so there'd be times where like, I would stick around the station and hop on his show as a guest and he'd interview me about just like the craziest stuff, but things that kind of loosely pertain to sports that that sort of mutual respect between the two of us was just kind of always there. And I think that's what's so important in terms of finding your people and what I was talking about before and building your community is we just never stopped being friends and never stopped being you know, sort of a resource for each other. Folks who have been listening to the podcast probably heard snippets of this. Like I graduated in 2013 and I've been in Philly professionally that entire time. Dan graduated in 2015 and has bounced all around the country, East coast, West coast, working in, in a bunch of different cities. And he's back in Philly now. And throughout that entire time, we would share experiences, what we were both sort of going through things we were facing in our careers, kind of being sounding boards for each other. And that all started from just seeing each other in the WHIP, you know, break room and, and just chatting and, and building a mutual level of respect for each other. It's just been just a rise in, in mutual respect, admiration for each other and the work we've put into to our crafts. So I'm going to ask you, one right here. I'm really asking you to be honest because I've gotten <laughs> advice pertaining to this question. And, and, you know, I know on Klein's board, they might want you to answer this one way, <laughs> but your answer might be a different way. There's a scale, balance beam. One side is the GPA, the other side is the resume. Which side is weighing down heavier? <laughs> That's a great question. For me, especially as somebody who is in a hiring position now, it's the resume. It's, it's your experience that I think carries the most weight. I don't even remember what my GPA was. And I'm not, you know, that far. I'm 10 years out of school. 
I don't know what my GPA was, and I don't think any employer would care what I told them. I've had some students, especially that I've interviewed for internships who, you know, they're still actively in school and they'll mention their GPA. And that's great. Like it's, it's, that's great, you know, good for you. But I think the resume and the experience is what I care about the most. And I think that is especially true. It might be different in other disciplines. I think it's especially true in media and communication type roles because we are asked as students in those positions to do so much outside of the classroom. Yes. You know, I remember being in school and from knowing you and and the stuff that you do, I know you're the same way. It's like, I'm doing stuff for the student radio station. I'm doing stuff for the paper. I don't particularly have a whole lot of time to invest in making sure that like I have a 4.0. I'm going to be the best student I can be because I'm going to work hard at that. But ultimately as an employer, I want to see what activities is this person diving into? How are they, how are they building their skill set? How are they putting their passion to work? That's what resonates. Others might have a different opinion on that, Javon. Like you might have to ask a few people to get consensus, but that's that's how I look at you know GPA versus resume. And the advice I got was: there's two pieces of paper that matter coming out of college: your resume and the degree. Yeah. Make sure those two look good. Make sure you get the degree and make sure the resume looks good. And then you're fine. Is there, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you feel like you have to get off your chest? You have to give the knowledge to, to our listeners. Mm. Best way to end an interview, you know? I know. Honestly, I don't know that there's anything that, that we haven't covered. You know, I think what I would reiterate to our listeners, especially, you know, the folks who we made this podcast for, who are current students, young alumni who are who are looking to advance in their careers, is what I had said before about not being afraid to go for what you think you deserve. You know, don't apply for a job because you don't think your experience aligns. Um, don't ask for, you know, don't stop yourself from asking for an opportunity at work because you don't think you're qualified enough to to do that task. It takes a certain level of confidence in yourself and belief in yourself to advance in your career, to get those first opportunities. And I, there have been points in my career where I have not been particularly good at that. And I've watched other people who are get opportunities faster than I did. So I just think that that belief in yourself, that level of conviction is so important. I think it's even more important when we're talking about our field, you know, media communications and and related things. It's so important to believe in yourself because there's going to be a lot of people, people that are close to you and in your circle who are probably going to tell you that, you know, you should give this up. You, you know, this is not a, a lucrative pathway. It's a difficult pathway. I think a lot of folks who, who go into media related roles are used to hearing that. And there's a lot of challenges along the way, but that belief in yourself and the support and belief that you get from the community you build is so vital. So I'll, I'll use the, did we cover everything portion to just reiterate and stress that point. Yeah. And that's not the first time I've heard it. Uh, Mark Zumoff told me one day, like when it comes to applying to scholarships, grants, jobs, never tell yourself, no. Let exactly. them tell you no. Don't tell yourself no. And and exactly. then John Kincaid, another Temple guy at 97.5. I know you're a WIP guy, so not, you know, the finale like might not both, be the station you know. to hear. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he said he was he was in WHIP one day. It's like, find one person in life that's just going to absolutely tell you the truth about everything. And that needs to be the one you talk to the most. Learn how to accept criticism as long as it's constructive and turn it into something positive and, and get better from it. And I I don't think truer words have been spoken inside these walls in, in the back corner of the tech center right here on Montgomery Avenue. Ray, on behalf of the people that this podcast was intended for, thank you so much. And I, I know you and Dan are going to keep killing it. And we're going to keep getting some more guests on here that's going to keep the show rolling and keep it fire. We're going to have some fun. Thank you, Javon, for your 
editing expertise and everything you bring to this show. It's much appreciated. And this this was a blast. I'm glad the uh, listeners got a chance to to learn a little bit about you and to get introduced to the man behind the scenes. Absolutely. Thank you to Javon Edmonds and Caitlin McGinn for interviewing us and coming on today's show to help us explain our story. Hopefully they don't steal this podcast from us. They were, uh, they got some interview skills. They got some interview schools. They're pretty In good 10 years did. now, we could throw them the keys, Willy Wonka <laughs> style. It's all yours. Take the great glass elevator of Leaving the Nets. Speaking of which, Leaving the Nest is hosted and produced by Dan Castarella and Ray Boyd. Javon Edmonds is our engineer, producer, and now co-interviewer. Aaron McGinn is our associate producer. Our intro music is Strolling by Danny Johnson. Special thanks to the Temple University Klein Alumni Board. This show is made possible by a grant from the Temple University Alumni Association. If you'd like to be on or suggest a Temple alumni guest, please contact us at leavingthenestpod at gmail.com. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.